Warning, content not suitable for children. Listener discretion advised, yo. Hey everybody, welcome to the Screaming Chewy Show, yeah! Hey everyone, what's today's episode about? Well, it's something that I could say I love. Something that I'm passionate about. And it's so fucking awesome. I'm talking about music here. Yeah, heavy metal music, girl. I will be talking about the origins of heavy metal. Mm-hmm. And you'll know what's the best way to start off this episode with a freaking song. And now a song from heavy metal Dutch band, Trouble Shot. And this is their song, Hear Me.
possible is that, huh? Now, have you guys uh, drawn a pentagram with the blood of the innocent yet? Huh? Lit some candles? What? But it's heavy metal it has to do with the devil, right? Well, maybe. Let's check out the origins of heavy metal. So, it's a genre of rock music that developed in the late 1960s and early 1970s, largely in the, get this, United Kingdom, yeah yo, the UK, with roots in blues, uh-huh, big surprise, huh, rock, psychedelic rock, and acid rock, interesting, huh, the bands that created heavy metal developed a thick, massive sound. Characterized by highly amplified distortion, extended guitar solos, and emphatic beats, and overall loudness. Also, the genre's lyrics and performance styles are sometimes associated with aggression and machismo. In 1968, three of the genre's most famous pioneers, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, and Deep Purple, were founded, haha <laughs> yeah, the founding fathers of metal. Though they came to attract wide audiences, they were often derided by critics following the blueprint laid down by Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath. Several American bands modified heavy metal into more accessible forms during the 1970s. The raw sleazy sound in outrageous stage shows of Alice Cooper and Kiss, the blues-rooted rock of Aerosmith, and the flashy guitar leads and wild party rock of Van Halen. During the 1970s, Judas Priest helped spur the genre's evolution by discarding much of its blues influence. Motorhead introduced a punk rock sensibility and increasingly emphasis on speed. Beginning in the late 1970s, bands in the new wave of British heavy metal, such as Iron Maiden and Def Leppard, followed in, in a similar vein. Before the end of the decade, heavy metal fans became known as metalheads or headbangers. During the 1980s, glam metal became popular with groups such as Bon Jovi and Molly Crew. Underground scenes produced an array of more aggressive styles. Thrash metal broke into the mainstream with bands such as Metallica, Slayer, Megadeth, and Anthrax. While the other extreme subgenres of metal such as death metal, black metal, remain subcultural phenomena. Since the mid-1990s, popular styles have further expanded the definition of the genre. These include groove metal and new metal the later of which often incorporated elements of grunge and hip-hop. Yeah, that's around when I, when, around the time I started getting into metal. Yep, fucking corn, Slipknot, System Over Down. Fuck yeah, they're still badass. Yep, System Over Down. 
Actually, uh, I seen them last year. In, uh, around September, I believe. They were fucking, they were badass, man. Uh, yeah. Seen them in Phoenix. I met this dude dressed up as Deadpool. <laughs> yup, I had my Deadpool t-shirt on, so that was cool. We're like, we both stopped at the same time. Like, hey, what's up? You know, you can follow him on, uh, Instagram. His name is, uh, Chimmy Pool, I believe. Yeah, Chimmy Pool underscore AZ. Go follow him, y'all. And, um, but yeah. What was I talking about again? Oh, yeah, and, uh, what's your best concert or the best show you've ever been to? Hmm? I say, I mean, System was good. Disturbed. They are pretty good. Corn, yeah. It was a good show. I see the best though for me, fucking Ramstein. Yeah, the the fire was fucking perfect. The fire and the lighting, everything went fucking perfect with the music. They make it a fucking art. And of course, it's fucking Ramstein. So at the end, they played this song called "Pussy." <laughs> and um, yeah, if you haven't heard it, go look it up. But anywho, while he's singing this song, he fucking jumps on this giant dick and he sprays the whole fucking crowd with a like foam or some shit. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty good. Seeing them twice in uh, Phoenix and uh, Vegas. But yeah, send me a message right here on Anchor or, you know, email me screaming at gmail dot com. Or my Facebook page. Whatever. So, getting off topic here. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah. Metal. Let's talk about its characteristics here, alright? So, heavy metal is traditionally characterized by loud, distorted guitars. Emphatic rhythms, dense bass and drum sound, and vigorous vocals. Heavy metal subgenres variously emphasize, alter, or omit one or more of these attributes. The New York Times critic John Perlis writes, In the taxonomy of popular music, heavy metal is a major subspecies of hard rock, the breed with less syncopation, less blues, and more showmanship, and more brute force. The typical band lineup includes a drummer, a bassist, a rhythm guitarist, lead guitarist, and a singer, who may or may not be an instrumentalist. Keyboard instruments are sometimes used to enhance the fullness of the sound. Deep Purple's John Lord played in overdriven Hammond organ. In 1970, John Paul Jones used a Moog synthesizer on Led Zeppelin III. By the 1990s, in almost every subgenre of heavy metal, synthesizers were used. The electric guitar and the sonic power that it projects through amplification has historically been the key element in heavy metal. The heavy metal guitar sound comes from a combined use of high volumes and heavy distortion. For classic heavy metal guitar tone, guitars maintain gain at moderate levels without excessive 
pramp or pedal distortion to retain open spaces and air in the music. The guitar amplifier is turned up loud to produce the characteristics punch and grind. Thrash metal guitar tone has scooped mid-frequencies and tightly compressed sound with lots of bass or bass frequencies. <clears throat> guitar solos are an essential element of the heavy metal code that underscores the significance of the guitar to the genre. Most heavy metal songs feature at least one guitar solo, which is a primary means through which the heavy metal performer expresses virtuosity. Some ex exemptions are new metal and grindcore bands, which tend to omit guitar solos with rhythm guitar parts. The heavy crunch sound is in heavy metal is created by palm muting. These strings are picking hand and using distortion. Palm muting creates a tighter, more precise sound and emphasizes the low end. The lead role of the guitar in heavy metal often collides with a traditional frontman or band leader role of the vocalist, creating a musical tension as the two contend for dominance in a spirit of affectionate rivalry. Heavy metal bands uh, demands the subordination of the voice to the overall sound of the band, reflecting metal's roots in the 1960s counterculture. An explicit display of emotion is required from the vocals as a sign of authenticity. Critic Simon Frith claims that the metal singer's tone of voice is more important than the lyrics. The prominent role of the bass is also key to the metal sound. And the interplay of bass and guitar is central element. The bass guitar provides a low end sound crucial to making the music heavy. The bass plays a more important role in heavy metal than in any other genre of rock. Metal basses or bass lines vary widely in complexity from holding down a low pedal point as a foundation to doubling complex riffs and licks, along with the lead or rhythm guitars. Some bands feature the bass as a lead instrument, an approach popularized by Metallica's Cliff Burton, which is heavy emphasis on bass guitar solos and use of chords while playing bass in the early 1980s. Lemmy of Motorhead often played overdriven power chords in his bass lines. In a live performance, loudness, an onslaught of sound, in sociologist Dina Weinstein's description, is considered vital. In this book, Metalheads, psychologist Jeffrey Arnett refers to heavy metal co concerts as the sensory equivalent of war, following the lead set by Jimi Hendrix, Cream, and The Who. Yeah, that's the CSI song. Who? Are you? Hoo hoo. <laughs> Anywho, early heavy metal acts such as uh, Blue Cheer set new benchmarks for volume. As Blue Cheer's Dick Peterson put it, all we knew was we wanted more power. <laughs> so wait, <laughs> a guy named Dick Peterson. And Peterson is basically just a number name for Dick.
The dick wanted more power. <laughs> I just had to. I just had to make a dick joke. All right, where was I? A 1977 review of a Motorhead concert rhythm is the main focus of uh, house music. Powerful sound, timber, and volume are the key elements of metal. She argues that the loudness is designed to sweep the listener into the sound and provide a shot of youthful, youthful vitality. Heavy metal performers tended to be almost exclusively male until the until at least the mid 1980s, apart from exceptions such as girls school. However, by the 2010s, women were making more of an impact. And Pop Matters, Craig Hayes argues that metal clearly empowers women in subgenres of symphonic and power of and power metal. These there has been a sizable number of bands that have had a woman as lead guitar lead singers, uh bands such as Nightwish, Delane, and Within Temptation have featured women as lead singers with men playing instruments. Yeah, bet you didn't know that, huh? Now you're learning something. And I know what you're thinking. Another song, right? Alright, let's do it. But first, why don't you guys check these guys out? Hey, you! Yeah, you over there! Do you like paranormal stuff? You like abandoned places? You like to, like, go check out some historical stuff? Maybe you like food. Maybe you like good music. I don't like Black Flag or maybe Black Sabbath. Well, we do too. So come check us out at Punk Rock Explorers Podcast. That's Punk Rock Explorers Podcast. Peace. Yeah, go check them out, yo. They got a pretty good podcast. I listen to it myself. They got some good content, pretty funny dudes. And they got some badass tunes also. So yeah, check them out. And also, check these guys out. Alright, I'm going to play a track by... Um, these guys, uh, they're a three-piece band. Um, they're from uh, San Carlos Apache Reservation. Right here in Arizona, yo. The motherfucking desert. And this band is named Alliance. Check out their song, The Devil Within.
say yeet. Yeet. You guys enjoy that? Oh yeah, me too. That was that was pretty heavy right there. I like it. So, rhythm and tempo. The rhythm in metal songs is emphatic with deliberate stresses. Weinstein, yeah, says fucking Weinstein, yo. Anywho, observes that the wide array of sonic effects available to metal drummers enables the rhythmic pattern to take a complexity within its elemental drive and insistency. In many heavy metal songs, the main groove is characterized by short two-note or three-note rhythmic figures generally made up of eighth or sixteenth notes. These rhythmic figures are usually performed with a staccato attack created by using using a palm-muted technique on the rhythm guitar. Brief, abrupt, and detached rhythmic cells are joined into rhythmic phrases with a distinctive, often jerky texture. These phrases are used to create rhythmic accompaniment and melodic figures called riffs, which help to establish thematic hooks. Heavy metal songs are 
Also use longer rhythmic figures such as whole note or dotted quarter note, length chords, and slow tempo power ballads. These tempos in early heavy metal music tended to be slow, even ponderous. By the late 1970s, however, metal bands were employing a wide variety of tempos. In the 2000s decade, metal tempos ranged from slow ballad tempos, quarter note equals 60 beats per minute, to extremely fast blast beats tempos, quarter note equals 350 beats per minute. All right, very interesting stuff here, huh? Learning. It's like school for metal. All right. So let's get into harmony here, all right? One of the signatures of the genre is the guitar power chord. In technical terms, the power chord is relatively simple. It involves just one main interval, generally the perfect fifth, though an octave may be added as a doubling of the root. When power chords are played on the lower strings at high volumes and with distortion, additional low-frequency sounds are created, which add the weight of the sound and create an effect of overwhelming power. Although the perfect fifth interval is the most common basis of the power chord, power chords are also based on different intervals, such as the minor third, major third, Perfect fourth, diminished fifth, or minor sixth. Most power chords are also played with a consistent finger arrangement that can be slid easily up and down the fretboard. Yeah, now, now you're getting more into the music detail, right? Right? Now you're like, oh shit, I feel like a musician now. I understand this. <laughs> Me too, man. Me too. So, typical harmonic structures. Heavy metal is usually based on riffs created with three main harmonic traits. Modal scale progression, tritone, and chromatic progression. And the use of pedal joints. No, pedal points. My bad. What's on my mind, huh? <laughs> Anywho. Traditional heavy metal tends to employ modal scales. In particular, the Aeolian and Phrygian modes. I have no clue what the fuck that is. <laughs> Anywho, harmonically speaking, this means that the genre typically incorporates modal chord progression, such as the Aeolian progressions and um, I V I V I I I V. I have no fucking clue what that is. Just V's and I's. Anywho, my bad. And Phrygian progressions implying the relation between I and I, 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 B, I. <laughs> my bad, guys. I should have skipped this. Anywho, tense sounding chromatic or tritone relationships are used in a number of metal chord progressions. In addition to using modal harmonic relationships, heavy metal also uses pentatonic and blues-derived features. Oh, yeah. The tritone and interval spanning three whole tones, such as C to F, F number, was a forbidden dissonance in a medieval exorcistical singing, which led monks to call 
call it Diabolos in Musica, the devil in music. Oh, now we're getting to the devil. We're getting there, guys. We're getting there. That's connecting. <clears throat> Heavy metal songs often make extensive use of pedal point as a harmonic basis. A pedal point is a sustained one, typically in the bass range, um, bass range, whatever, <laughs> during which at least one foreign harmony is sounded in other parts. According to Robert Walsler, heavy metal harmonic relationships are often quite complex, and the harmonic analysis done by metal players and teachers is often very sophisticated. In the study of heavy metal chord structures, it has been concluded that heavy metal music has proved to be far more complicated than other music researchers had realized. Wait, so you're telling me it's not just people screaming and randomly playing loud? Yes, it's freaking talent, yo. It takes talent. So now you know. Also, did you know that there's a relationship between classical music and metal? Yeah, the fuck, huh? Well, Robert Walther stated that alongside blues and R&B, the assemblage of disparate musical styles known as classical music has been major influence on heavy metal since the genre's earliest days. Also, that metal's most influential musicians have been guitar players who have also studied classical music. This appropriation and adaptation of classical models sparked the development of a new kind of guitar, virtuous, virtuously changes in the harmonic and melodic language of metal. In an article written for Groove Music Online, Walzer stated that the 1980s brought on the widespread adaptation of chord progressions and virtuosic practices from 18th century European models, especially Bach and Antonio Vivaldi by influential guitarists such as Richie Blackmore, Marty Friedman, Jason Becker, Yuli John Roth, Eddie Van Halen, Randy Rhodes, and Yingui Malmsteen, Kurt Bonchman of Believer has stated that in if done correctly, metal and classi classical fit quite well together. Classical and metal are probably the two genres that have the most common when it comes to feel, texture, and creativity. Oh shit, right? What the fuck, huh? Badass. <clears throat> Although a number of metal musicians cite classical composers as inspiration, Classical and metal are rooted in different cultural traditions and practices. Classical in the art music tradition, metal in the popular music tra tradition. As musicologist Nicholas Cook and Nicola Dibbin note analyze of popular music also sometimes reveal the influence of art traditions. An example in Walser's linkage of heavy metal music with the ideologies and even some of the performances practice of 19th century romanticism. However, it would be clearly wrong to claim that traditions such as blues, rock, heavy metal, rap, or dance music derive primarily from art music. Hmm. According to scholars, 
David Hatch, and Stephen Millward, Black Sabbath, and the numerous heavy metal bands that they inspired have concentrated lyrically on dark and depressing subject matter to an extent hit Huerto unprecedented in any form of pop music. They take as an example Sabbath's second album, Paranoid, 1970, which included songs dealing with personal trauma, Paranoid, and Fairies Wear Boots, which described the unsavory side effect of drug taking, as well as those confronting wider issues such as the self-explanatory War Pigs and Hand of Doom. Fucking love those. Deriving from the genre's roots in the blues music. Sex is another important topic, a thread running from Led Zeppelin's suggestive lyrics to the more explicit references of glam metal and new metal bands. The thematic content of heavy metal has long been a target of criticism. According to John Perlis, heavy metal's main subject matter is simple and virtually universal. With grunts, moans, and subliterary lyrics, it celebrates a party without limits. The bulk of the music is stylized and formulaic. Music critics, critics often deemed metal lyrics juvenile and banal, and others have objected to what they have seen as an advocacy of misogyny and the occult during the 1980s. The Parents Music Resource Center petitioned the U.S. Congress to regulate the popular music industry industry due to what the group asserted were objectionable lyrics, particularly those in heavy metal songs. Andrew Cope states that the claims that the heavy metal lyrics are misogynistic are clearly misguided, as these critics have overlooked and the overwhelming evidence that suggests otherwise. Mm-hmm. Take that, parents. Music critic Robert Christogu called metal an expensive mode. Oh, I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> an expressive mode. <laughs> that it sometimes seems will be with us for long as ordinary white boys fear girls pity themselves and are permitted to rage against a world they'll never beat. Fuck yeah, man. Fuck the world. (laughs) Just kidding, world. You know I love you. Heavy metal artists have had to defend their lyrics in front of the U.S. Senate and in court. In 1985, Twisted Sister frontman D. Snyder was asked to defend his song, under the blade at a U.S. Senate hearing. At the hearing, PMRC alleged that the song was about sadomasochism and rape. Snyder stated that the song was about his bandmate's throat surgery. In 1986, Osborne, Ozzy Osbourne was sued over the lyrics of his song, Suicide Solution. A lawsuit against Osborne was filed by the parents of John McCollum, a depressed teenager who committed suicide allegedly after listening to Osborne's song. Osborne was not found to be responsible for the teen's death in 1990. Judas Priest was sued 
in American court by the parents of two young men who had shot themselves five years earlier, allegedly after hearing the subliminal statement, do it, in the song, Better By You, Better Than Me. It was uh, featured in the album, Stained Class. The song was also a spooky tooth cover. While the case attracted a great deal of media attention, it ultimately dismissed. 1991, UK police seized death metal records from the British record label Iarachi Records in an unsuccessful attempt to prosecute the label for obscenity. In some predominantly Muslim countries, Heavy metal has been officially denounced as a threat to traditional values in countries such as Morocco, Egypt, Lebanon, and Malaysia. There have been incidents of heavy metal musicians and fans being arrested and incarcerated. In 1997, Egyptian police jailed many young metal fans as they were accused of devil worshipping and blasphemy. After police found metal recordings during searches of their homes. In 2013, Malaysia banned Lamb of God from performing in their country. Damn, that's fucking bullshit, man. On the grounds that the band's lyrics could be interpreted as being religiously insensitive and blasphemous. Some people considered heavy metal music to being a leading factor for mental health disorders. And though uh, the heavy metal fans were more likely to suffer with a poor mental health, but study has proven that this is not true and the fans of this music have lower or similar percentage of people suffering from poor mental health. You know, just people trying to bash the fucking genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know banning bands from playing in those countries. That's fucked up, man. And uh, I know what you're thinking. Oh, that won't happen in the U.S. We got freedom of speech. Well, Ramstein got arrested here. Yeah, in Massachusetts, I believe. But they weren't banned. They just stopped playing here for 10 fucking years. <laughs> I believe that happened in 2000. And, um... You know, their uh, performances could be pretty fucking sexual. You know, I mean, they're German, yo. What do you expect? And um, I think they got arrested for indecent exposure or some shit like that. Anywho, they stopped playing here for 10 fucking years. And when they played here in uh, 2010, yeah, I went to fucking see them. Seen them in 2010 and 2012. In Phoenix and Vegas. But hey, speaking about concerts, any of y'all have a crazy concert story? What's the craziest shit you ever seen in a concert, huh? Okay, I'll start. So back in, I don't know, 2008, somewhere around there, went to KFMA Day, right? Local festival here. And, um,. Metallica obviously was the big one that went, but Apocalyptica also went, uh, Flowbots, and that's all I could remember, there was a lot more, anywho, um, they announced that 
they we actually broke a record there because it was at the Pima County Fairgrounds. And it was like the most people that ever showed up to a concert there. It was like 20 or 30,000 people. I don't know, something like that. But it was fucking packed, yo. And if you ever been there, there's a lot of grass, big open field. All of that was fucking packed, yo. And they actually had to stop the show. And this dude went on the mic. He's like, everybody, back up. Everybody, back up. There's people unconscious here in the front. <laughs> so I guess a lot of people in the front row were being pushed up against the rails by the whole crowd. And um yeah, they were all passing out. Oh yeah, and scars on Broadway went there too. They were pretty badass. Anywho, so the solution, everybody backed up and um they started crowd surfing the unconscious people back. They're just crowd surfing them. And when they got to the end of the crowd, they just fucking threw them. <laughs> yeah, that's fucked up. Anywho, that was my craziest concert. I mean, I haven't seen a lot of crazy shit. I mean, I see somebody else talking to somebody, random dude. Then all of a sudden, whack, just gets hit in, hit in the face with a shoe. Yeah, I guess people, they were crowd surfing. They would take their shoes off and just fucking chuck them. What the fuck, man? <laughs> or um, I was uh, I was watching Apocalyptica, and uh, it's four shiolos in a drum set, but it sounds all distorted and shit. And it's fucking badass, you know what I mean? This random person like passed me a joint, and I'm like, all right, cool. So I hit it, and I was watching Apocalyptica, and I kept looking around. I'm like. Where's the fucking electric guitar, yo? What the fuck? But no, no guitar, yo. And then all of a sudden, I see all black. And I come to, and I'm like bent over, like my hands are in front of me, and I'm almost going to hit the grass. So I just see my hands in front of me in grass. I'm like, what the fuck? And as I look up, I see a chick on the ground. And she's like, help me up, help me up. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. And I guess she was crowd surfing and somebody just chucked her and hit the back of my head. <laughs> yeah, that was my crazy concert experience. But if you have any crazy concert experiences, message me. I definitely want to hear those. But hey, I started a thread asking people in a metal group. And um, here's some of their stories. So I'm not going to name any names. But I'll just tell you their stories, right? So I just asked, what's your craziest concert story? And then I told mine. So here's the first comment. Gigantor, 2012, question mark, I think. Megadeth headlining. The front side seats close to the stage were empty. So I snuck in there. My boyfriend was like, no, they're not our seats. I said, I don't care. If no one's sitting there, when Megadeth comes on, I'm in there. Next thing you know, him and all our buddies come down the steps full of excitement, horns raised. It's fucking Megadeth. It was first time I pissed my pants. I was so excited. <laughs> nice, nice. Oh, this is a good one. Almost died at Pink Floyd in Seattle. Too many mushrooms on top of penicillin. 
snapped out of it at the ambulance. Luckily went on to see one of these best shows possible. Very high. <laughs> nice. Mushrooms, Pink Floyd. You have to, bro. Sick or not, you have to. Okay. As I lay dying and in name and blood, underage gig in Melbourne, me and this Chinese bloke were throwing people up on top surfing, <laughs> whether they wanted it or not. Then old mate from in name and blood stood up, said, share the love. It's a good thing. Drank from his water, then spat over in front of a couple rows of people. Funny night, LOL. <laughs> Dude at ACDC pissed on the back of my leg. Knocked him the fuck out for his troubles. Nice. Alright, so Slayer at Tattoo the Earth, 2001 in SoCal, Southern California. People set fires in the middle of the pits and moshed around and sometimes threw them. It went, It was intense and unforgettable. Fuck yeah, I bet, man. <laughs> what the fuck? Um, here's another one. Not a metal band, but I saw the UK SKA band, The Beat, back in 07. And boy, were they angry at the crowd. Don't remember the details, but they had stopped playing their set. And the singer was flipping out on the crowd. And then they left the stage. <laughs> Gotta love it when that happens, huh? Wow, this is an awkward one. Scorpions and Molly Crew, 1999, got pushed around into a 14-year-old girl who was naked from the waist up. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Once at Megadeth, my man and I were smoking a joint and a bouncer started coming over to us. So I threw the full joint and then after the show, the tool bag actually saw it on the ground at the same time I did and raced me for it. Ha ha ha. And I shoulder checked his bitch ass and left him left with my joint. LOL dude had zero chill. <laughs> nice, nice. Brought a concert to end. Knocked down a person in the pit. He was with a very large crowd. All hell broke loose. Throwing tables, chairs, backed in a corner, escorted out by security. Standing outside, regrouping. All of a sudden, place starts to empty. Concert over. Damn. And last but not least, halfway through a traitor's show, at least six people had to be carried out from injury. Damn. Yeah, sounds typical. <laughs> now, I know what you're thinking. This is all very interesting and informative. But you want some fucking music, right? You need some tunes, yo. So here's a song by a band called NRWHL. Song is called Half Faith. <laughs>
Hey everybody, welcome to the Screaming Chewy Show, yeah! some nice tunes with a nice little break right there and hey if you enjoy this episode and you're really enjoying this music let me know and um i'll feature more music and more bands and more episodes and um yeah i feel like a radio dj like a rock station which is cool though (laughs) so heavy metal when you hear that word and you think of their image like the, the fan base right how do you picture them dressed, right? Like what? Fucking leather jackets, spikes and shit. Or do you think of like goth, you know, with those trip pants and all kinds of chains and shit, all baggy? Or do you think of like nowadays, you know, skinny jeans and, you know, <laughs> shit like that? Anywho, let's get into of the heavy metal fashion, the image in fashion. Not nowadays, but, you know, when it was picking up in the 70s and 80s. You know, when it was booming. Alright? For many artists and bands, visual imagery plays a large role in heavy metal. In addition to its sound and lyrics, a heavy metal band's image is expressed in album cover, art, logos, stage sets, clothing, design of instruments, and music videos. Down to the back long hair is the most crucial distinguishing feature of metal fashion originally adopted from the hippie subculture by the 1980s and 1990s heavy metal hair symbolized the hate against and disenchantment of generation that seemingly never felt at home according to journalist nader raman long hair gave members of the metal community the power they needed to rebel against nothing in general. The classic uniform of heavy metal fans consists of light colored, ripped, frayed or torn blue jeans, black t-shirts, boots, and black leather or denim jackets. Dina Weinstein writes, t-shirts are generally emblazoned with the logos or other visual representations of favorite metal bands in the 1980s a range of sources from punk and goth music to horror films influenced metal fashion. Many metal performers in the 1970s and 1980s used radically shaped and brightly colored instruments to enhance their stage appearance. Fashion and personal style was especially important for glam metal bands of the era. Performers typically wore long, dyed hairspray teased hair hence the nickname hair metal. Makeup such as lipstick and eyeliner, gaudy clothing, including leopard skin printed shirts or vests and tight denim, leather or spandex pants. And accessories such as headbands and jewelry, pioneered by the heavy metal act X Japan in the late 1980s. Bands in the Japanese movement known as Visual Kai, which visual key i think (laughs) uh which includes many non-metal groups emphasize elaborate costumes hair and makeup yeah what about tattoos man what the fuck it should be in there and hey if you're an old fart listening to this 
and you're thinking of that leather jacket with all kinds of patches of metal bands all over it thinking about the times when you were younger when you felt most alive that's metal right there that's something you'll never forget if you ask me anyway but clothing is not the only thing that makes it metal you know what else makes it metal physical gestures but hey if you ask me uh not just the clothing makes it metal also the physical gestures yeah that's right many metal musicians were performing live engaging head banging which involves rhythmically beating time with the head now i think what they meant here is uh this wikipedia by the way what they meant is you bang your head to the beat of the fucking song time what the hell anywho often emphasized by long hair the il cornuto or devil horns hand gesture was popular popularized by vocalist ronnie james deal yeah the motherfucking og right there he's rocking in hell right now fuck yeah while with black sabbath and deal although gene simmons of Kiss claims to have been the first to make gesture on the 1997 Love Gun album cover, there's speculation as to who started the phenomenon. Well, Gene Simmons kind of makes shit up sometimes, so I go with fucking deal if you ask me. Anywho, attendees of metal concerts do not dance in the usual sense. Fuck no, dancing ain't metal, yo, what the fuck? Gotta be antisocial, fool. Gotta beat each other up. <laughs> Start a mosh pit and fucking push people around and shit. <laughs> Anywho, it has been argued that this due to the music's largely, largely male audience and extreme heterosexualist ideology, two primary body movements used are headbanging and arm thrust. That is both a sign of appreciation and a rhythmic gesture. The performance of air guitar is popular amongst metal fans both at concerts and listening to records at home. Fuck yeah! How are you not gonna air guitar to a badass fucking solo? Shit. Anywho, according to Dina Weinstein, thrash metal concerts have two elements that are not part of other metal genres moshing and stage diving which were imported from the punk hardcore subculture Weinstein states that moshing participants bump and jostle each other as they move in a circle in an area called the pit near the stage stage divers climb onto the stage with the band and then jump back into the audience yeah sounds fun right sounds like some crazy ass fucking fans huh well, let's talk a little bit more about the fans. Let's talk about fan subculture. It has been argued that heavy metal has outlasted many other rock genres, largely due to emergence of an intense, exclusionary, strongly masculine subculture. While the metal fan base is largely young, white, male, and blue collar, the group is tolerant of those outside its core demographic base who follow its codes of dress appearance and behavior identification with the subculture strengthened not only by the group experience of concert going and shared elements of fashion 
but also by contributing to metal magazines and more recently websites. Attending live concerts in particular has been called the holiest of heavy metal communions. Yeah. The metal scene has been characterized as a subculture of alienation with its own code of authenticity. This code puts several demands on performers. They must appear both completely devoted to their music and loyal to the subculture that supports it. They must appear uninterested in mainstream appeal and radio hits, and they must never sell out. Dino Whiteside states that for the fans themselves, the code promotes opposition to established authority and separateness from the rest of society. Yeah. Musician and filmmaker Rob Zombie observes, most of the kids who come up to my show seem like really imaginative kids with a lot of creative energy. They don't know what to do with it. And that metal is outsider music for outsiders. Nobody wants to be the weird kid. You just somehow end up being the weird kid. It's kind of like that. But with metal, you have all these weird kids in one place. Scholars of metal have noted the tendency of fans to classify and reject some performers and some other fans as posers who pretend to be part of a subculture but were deemed lack of authenticity and sincerity. Motherfucking Rob Zombie, yo. Love his films. I don't care what they say. Love his music. And I seen him once. Yeah, believe it or not, I like I could touch him, yo, for real. I was at his concert. Um, seen him at the right there by the Casino Del So I forgot what it's called. But uh, yeah, the fucking lights went out, and there was only the lights on the stage as the guitarist was playing a solo. And the fucking lights came back on. Boom. He was like right in front of me, dude. Like the row right in front of me. I could touch him, yo. I was like, what the fuck? And I pulled my phone out right away and recorded him. And um, yeah, then the lights went out. He fucking disappeared. Um, But dude, I fucking got home and uploaded that video from my phone to my computer. And I watched it. And I noticed... There was a chick right next to him flashing her titties. And I never even noticed it that moment. For real. She was a hot chick too with nice titties. I fucking completely missed titties right in front of me because of Rob Zombie. You know what I mean? I was that excited. (laughs) For real, man. You should see my face later when I seen that video. I was like, what the fuck? There's fucking titties right there. What the fuck? So, where was I? I got distracted. I was talking about titties, yo. (laughs) Anywho. Etymology, or etymology. The origin of the term heavy metal in a musical context is uncertain. The phrase has been used for centuries in chemistry and metallurgy, where the periodic table organizes elements of both light and heavy metals. An early use of the term is modern popular culture was by countercultural writer Willem S. Barras. His 1962 novel, The Soft Machine, includes a character known as Uranium Willie, the heavy metal kid. Oh, that sounds badass. I bet that'd be a cool band name. Anywho, Burroughs' next novel, 
Nova Express 1964 develops a theme using heavy metal as a metaphor for addictive drugs. Oh no, with their diseases and orgasm drugs and their sexless parasite life forms, heavy metal people of Uranus wrapped in a cool blue mist of vaporized banknotes and the insect people of Minraud with metal music. Inspired by Burroughs' novels, the term was used in the title of the 1967 album featuring the human hosts and heavy metal kids by Habshash and the Colored Coat, which had been claimed to be its first use in the context of music. The phrase was later lifted by Sandy Perlman, who used the term to describe the birds, B-I-R-D-S, for their supposed aluminum style of context and effect, particularly on their album, The Notorious Bird Brothers, 1968. Metal historian Ian Christie describes what the components of the term mean in hippie speak. Heavy is roughly synonymous with potent or profound, and metal designates a certain type of mood, grinding, and weighted as with metal. The word heavy, in its sense, was a basic element of beatnik and later countercultural hippie slang. References to heavy music, typically slower, more amplified variations of standard pop fare were already common by the 1960s, such as reference to Vanilla Fudge, Iron Butterfly's debut album, released in early 1968, was titled Heavy. The first use of heavy metal in a song lyric is in reference to a motorcycle in Steppenwolf's song, Born to be Wild, also released that year. I like smoke and lightning, heavy metal thunder, racing with the wind and the feeling that I'm under. That was a song lyric if you don't know. The first documented use of the phrase to describe a type of rock music identified to date appears in a review by Barry Gifford in May 11, 1968. Issue of Rolling Stone, he wrote about the album A Long Time Coming by U.S. band Electric Flag. Nobody who's been listening to Mike Bloomfield either talking or playing in the last few years could have expected. This is the new soul music, the synthesis of white blues and heavy metal rock. In January 1970, Lucien K. Truscott, reviewing Led Zeppelin II for The Village Voice, described the sound as heavy and made comparisons with Blue Cheer and Vanilla Fudge. Damn, I keep fucking that up. (laughs) Anyway, other early documented uses of phrase are from reviews by critic Mike Saunders. And uh, did I already fucking say this, yo? No, never mind. November 12th, (laughs) my bad guys, my bad, 1970 issue of Rolling Stone, he commented on an album put out the previous year by the British band Humble Pie, safe as yesterday is, 
their first American release proved that humble pie could be boring in lots of different ways. Here they were a noisy, unmelodic, heavy metal leading shit rock band with the loud and noisy parts beyond beyond doubt. There were a couple of nice songs and one monumental pile of refuse. He described the band's latest self-titled release as more of the same 27th rate heavy metal crap. Damn, brutal, man. In a real review of Sir Lord Baltimore's Kingdom Come in May 1971, Kareem, C-R-E-E-M, Sounders wrote, Sir Lord Baltimore seems to have downed Pat most of all the best heavy metal tricks in the book. Cream critic Lester Bang discredited with popularized the term via in the early 1970s essays on bands such as Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath. Through the decade, heavy metal was used by certain critics as a virtually automatic put down. Man, fuck them. In 1979, lead, lead New York Times popular music critic John Rockwell described what he called heavy metal rock as brutally aggressive music played mostly of minds clouded by drugs and in a different article as a crude exaggeration of rock basics appeals to white teenagers. Damn racist much? Coined by Black Sabbath drummer Bill Ward, downer rock was one of the earliest terms used to describe this style of music and was applied to acts such as Sabbath and Blood Rock. Classic Rock magazine described the downer rock culture revolving around the use of quaaludes and the drinking of wine. Later, the term would be replaced by heavy metal. Earlier on, as heavy metal emerged partially from heavy psychedelic rock scene, also known as acid rock, acid rock was often used interchangeably with heavy metal and hard rock. Misogynist Steve Wexman stated that the distinction between acid rock, hard rock, and heavy metal can at some point never be more tenuous. While percussionist John Beck defined acid rock as synonymous with hard rock and heavy metal. Apart from acid rock, the terms heavy metal and hard rock have often been used interchangeably, particularly in discussing bands of the 1970s, appeared when the terms were largely synonymous. For example, the 1983 Rolling Stone Encyclopedia of Rock and Roll includes this passage. Known for its aggressive blues-based hard rock style, Aerosmith was a top American heavy metal band of the mid-70s. Damn. Yup, and over the years now there's so many different types of metal. Just like back then there was rock, hard rock, then acid rock, and all those variations started coming out, right? Same thing with metal, right? Like you'd expect. You know, like... There's death metal, thrash metal, black metal, power metal, doom metal. I mean, the list just goes on. I can honestly make another podcast episode just talking about these genres and explaining the difference. But I'm fucking tired right now, yo. I've been reading a lot. (laughs) But hey, 
what is your favorite metal genre right i mean if you ask me like i don't get too technical with it you know what i mean like i like metallica and megadeth you know that's thrash metal but I also like slipknot and all and that's new metal i guess but if you like it you like it yo like I don't know why people get so fucking technical and just hate on other shit like all that technical progressive death metal sucks. Like, goddamn, bro, like slow down, man. <laughs> but hey, I talked a little bit about women in heavy metal, right? There's back in the day when it was roaring up, there wasn't a lot, right? Of course, you know. Like, we all know the history, you know, back in the day, women weren't as, I don't know, how can I put this, uh, free as now, maybe? I don't know if that's the right word, but you know what I mean. But, I mean, I didn't talk about that too much, so let's talk about it, right? The history of women in heavy metal can be traced back as far as the 1970s, oh shit, when the band Vixen was formed in 1973. Another hard rock band that featured all female members, The Runaways, was founded in 1975. Two members, Joanne Jett and Lita Ford, later had successful solo careers. 1978, with the rise of the new wave of British heavy metal, oh yeah, the beginning, the band Girl School was founded. I think I mentioned them. Later collaborating with Motorhead under the uh, pseudonym Head Girl in 1980. Oh shit, I didn't know that. That's fucking interesting. In 1996, Finnish with what is it? oh Finnish band Nightwish was founded and has featured women as vocalists. Pretty badass band too. This was followed by more women fronting heavy metal bands such as Hailstorm, Within Temptation, Arch Enemy and Epica, amongst others, in Japan, the 2010s brought a boom of all-female metal bands including Destros, Aldios, Mary's Blood, Cynthia, and Love Bites. Women have had an important role behind the scenes, such as Gabby Hoffman and Sharon Osbourne. Sharon, get me a burrito. I had to, bro. <laughs> In 1981, Hoffman helped Don Dawkin acquire his first record deal. Hoffman also became the manager of Accept in 1981 and wrote songs under, under the pseudonym of Deffy for many of band's studio albums. Vocalist Mark Tomillo stated that Hoffman still had some influence in songwriting on their later albums. Osborne the wife and manager of Ozzy Osbourne founded the Ozfest Music Festival, managed several bands including Motorhead, Cold Chamber, The Smashing Pumpkins, Electric Light Orchestra, Lita Ford, and Queen. Damn, I didn't know that shit. Sharon's a fucking badass, yo. That's crazy. Well, now you know. Now I know. So there you have it, folks. The history of heavy metal and see now you know we're not just a whole bunch of fucking devil worshippers screaming just playing dial distortion no man we're fucking 
people who love a certain type of music. We like it loud. We like it heavy. We get wild a little bit here and there, right? But hey, there's other genres of music that people get wild to, right? That fucking hip-hop, people get all crunk and shit. Yeah, drink some lean and shoot somebody at a club. No, I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> but anywho, you see a metalhead out there, don't judge, man. Just somebody that loves music, and they're just sporting their favorite band shirt. Or maybe they're depressed. <laughs> so, hey, everybody. If you really enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor and find me on anchor.fm. Screaming Chewy Show. And hey, you could donate right there. That would be great. I would greatly appreciate it. It's going to better equipment and I'll be bringing you a better show. Especially season two coming out next year. Yeah. I'm going to upgrade you already getting some equipment. And uh, any donation is greatly appreciated. Hey, even if you don't donate and you're just listening, fucking thank you. Even if you just told a friend or a family member about me. Thank you. I really do appreciate it. And hey, while you're at it, while I'm asking for favors here, why don't you check these guys out? Go check out Heavy Rock Dutch Band Trouble Shot. You heard their song called Hear Me. Good stuff. And after you're done listening to them on YouTube or Spotify, and you're like, dude, I need more info. I need to, you know, get a hold of these guys or something. When are their next tour dates, album coming out? Go check out their Facebook page. Same name, Trouble Shot. Smash that like button. Also, check out Alliance. You heard their song, Devil Within. Go check out their Facebook. Hit that like button. Also, NRWHL. You heard their song, Have Faith. Yeah, more good stuff. And I'd like to thank you guys. I appreciate you guys allowing me to play your music. I love it, man. I, I need more metal content. And this is fucking awesome. So you guys listening, check these guys out. And hey, thanks again for tuning in. Appreciate it. And hey, I'm going to end this episode with another song. This is another song by Trouble Shop. And it's called Lost. Later.
Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. And if you'd like to support this podcast, you can find me at anchor.fm slash screamingchewygmail.com. There'll be three options for a monthly subscription. First one, I believe, starts at a dollar a month, yo. Yeah, dollar a month. Yeah, and if you don't want to, that's cool. You can follow me on Facebook and YouTube, Screaming Chewy Show, for some memes, some more videos for episodes, and behind-the-scenes kind of deal, right? You can follow me on Twitter, uh, Screaming Chewy. Yeah, not Screaming Chewy Show. I should probably change it. But it's just Screaming Chewy. And uh, thanks for listening. Peace.